Hello everyone and welcome to the Let's Talk Revenue Marketing podcast brought to you by the Revenue Marketing Alliance. Today our host Eve Chen is joined by growth marketer Jackie Oliver to discuss the demanding skills of marketers of today and tomorrow. Well, welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Revenue Marketing. My name is Yi Chen. I'm your host today. And uh, today we would like to talk about the demanding skills for marketers of today and tomorrow. I think this is a topic that's really top of mind for a lot of us today um, due to the recent restructuring that we have been seeing in the big tech industry across the United States as well as across the, the globe. So uh, as we know that uh, chief marketing officers the average tenor in their post held steady last year, uh, last year at a 40 months only. According to the latest the annual research from executive search and the leadership advisory firm Spencer Stewart, that is still the lowest level in more than a decade. And it's still actually the top uh, profession at a C level with the shortest tenor at a, a leadership table. So the tenor for chief executive attracted uh, by the center organization, Spencer Stewart, by comparison, is continuing to climb. The firm says that the CEOs now stay in their roles more than twice as long as CMOs at an average of 84 months. So we can just, you know, do a Google search and you, will, you won't actually, you know, be shy from seeing headlines such as CMO, you have 23 months, you know, to leave which is a pretty horrible statement. The most dangerous job in business is the chief marketing officer, according to Fast Company. And CMOs, your days are still numbered, according to Chief Outsiders. <laughs> so all of these headlines and articles all suggest that the short tenor is still a problem for CMOs. So why is this still the case? And how can we improve the tenor of senior marketing executives? So what we do know, however, is that to drive growth in the digital age, marketing needs to modernize a specific set of capabilities and mindsets. So today we're going to dive into this topic and uh, definitely is top of mind for including myself. And as you know, I deal with a lot of CMOs and um, senior uh, marketing executives as my clients. So um, I would like to, um, on this note, I'd like to welcome our guest today. Uh, Jackie Over. Jackie is a strategic and a commercial problem solver, has over 13 years of experience in delivering revenue-driven marketing initiatives. Having spent the majority of her career in B2C as well as B2B marketing roles within the financial services sector, Jackie made a transition into a sales-focused role in a B2B SaaS startup in 2021. In this role as the head of growth, Jackie expanded her remit to own the entire PL, establish new SaaS products, as well as revenue strings, and deliver on those product roadmaps. This is quite, I'm really intrigued with her journey. And, you know, as a marketer, there's not many will venture out and take on a full sales and PL responsibility. And so, you know, I, I think that it would be fantastic to really get her insights and, in, you know, in terms of her journey of expanding her roles uh, from um, true marketers, you know, into uh, owning the entire growth and revenue generation responsibility. Hi, Jackie. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Hey, hey really excited to be here. 
Yeah, thank you so much for coming to discuss this important topic. Um, earlier, as I mentioned, right, and uh, CMO are still grappling with intense pressure to drive profitable growth and meet the changing demands for business transformation and to keep up with increasing complexity in the broader marketing landscape as well. So uh, recently, we have seen a McKinsey study. Um, there is a survey saying that 83% of the global CEO they look for look to marketing to be the major driver for most of all of a company's growth agenda. And I also saw another study, I think was over 50% of the CEO, they actually don't trust their CMOs. Mm -hmm. So this is a kind of like a, a jeopardy, I, I guess we're in, you know, CEOs mm -hmm. are looking to marketers and to really drive their revenue generation, but at the same time, they don't trust them as well. So someone that, you know, who has transformed your role as a marketer and then to take on the sales accountability, um, I'd love to explore with you that uh, what sort of skills that, you know, you see as critical in order for you to expand your horizon and take on a bit bigger seat at the leadership table. So um, I always start out, you know, everything, uh, every podcast, and I will go back to a bit of basic and then really understand, you know, um, the, I guess, the foundational piece that, the, uh, you know, uh, for our listeners, so they understand that where we're at. So uh, could you tell us, you know, just explain um, a little bit, tell us a little bit of your background and your journey as a marketer, and now you're a growth professional. So what motivated you to expand your role? Yeah, so, um, and first of all, I think that's, that's really exciting. So if 83% of CEOs are looking to marketing, you know, that's the sort of thing that, you know, makes me really excited um, because I'd say a lot of my career, I didn't really feel that that was the case, that marketing was seen as, you know, the go-to for revenue driving. So um, that's really exciting to see the, the kind of shift there. Um, right. For me personally, in terms of expanding my remit, I'd say the desire and the hunger has always been there. Um, and I actually didn't start my career in marketing. I actually started as a graphic designer. Um, oh, yeah. And so, yeah, so I think I've, I think I've been pivoting, um, the, you know, the day that I landed in the workforce. Um, and it was pretty much the moment that I, you know, first landed my job as a graphic designer. And pretty quickly I knew that this just was not going to be the right place for me to really thrive. Right. Um, and I think fundamentally the reason was is because, um, you know, the university experience really set you up to be a strategic problem solver. You're looking at things holistically. You're looking at things from end to end. Um, and I loved all of that. I loved looking at things from end to end and really driving results and having a purpose and a why. Um, right. Sadly, when I got into the workforce, that just was not the reality um, and instead as a graphic designer I had people you know coming up to me with a little scribble on a piece of paper of a of a flyer or a um, you know an event invitation that they wanted to do and you know the line would literally be can you just pretty this up um, and you know I was kind of I was really frustrated with that experience because they were bringing me in at the end of the process rather than the beginning and that's where I wanted to be and that's where I wanted to play and I knew I could add value all the way through the experience so um, it was pretty much in that moment that I knew I needed to pivot uh, and the digital landscape was evolving rapidly and I felt that that's really where I needed to go. So while I was working a full-time job, um, I went to TAFE and I studied three nights a week for a year um, to do web design and web development, so design and coding. Um, and so I really thought 
at that time that I would go in and I would become a UX design and front end developer. Um, so still kind of within the design space, but moving into a more technical role. Um, that didn't end up being the case. Uh, you know, after the year, right. I realized that coding languages, while I was pretty good at coding, I did have that technical mindset. Um, coding language is evolving so rapidly uh, that I would need to go really, really deep into that space if I was going to be, you know, a renowned coder. Uh, and I just didn't feel that that is ultimately what I wanted to do. Um, so I decided I needed to pivot again. Um, but, you know, having said that, there wasn't a year wasted. Um, I certainly came away from that course um, finding um, a niche or a rare skill set that I had um, and I could kind of pivot between the creative and the analytical really well um, and you know my tape teacher had said that's pretty rare most people can either do one or the other and they struggle to go between the two so I kind of really leaned in on that and I was like all right this is something unique to me um, and certainly something that I've leveraged um, throughout my career and I can see how it has set me apart um, so I probably then pivoted maybe like 18 months uh, later. And, you know, as it does happen, it's often you get an opportunity to really step up as bad as this sound when your manager leaves. Uh, so I was in a, a design focused role. Um, my manager, who was the head of marketing, uh, resigned. Uh, and there was probably like a six month period before they actually brought in um, the new head of marketing so that you know you got to step up right you either sink or you swim um, yep. so I stepped up and I had that opportunity to really understand and appreciate all of marketing um, and I was really fortunate that when the new head of marketing came in who was phenomenal and absolute gun and still is to this day um, you know, she really saw the potential in me um, and she said, you know, if you want to be a marketer, you absolutely can. And, you know, I can help you do that. Um, and I remember kind of saying to her, oh, am I going to have to go back to uni? Like, you know, I just kind of studied twice. and I really didn't want to do that again. Yeah. Uh, and she was like, no, 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 you'll be right. You can learn on the job. And I was like, great, let's do this. <laughs> um, and, you know, it was under her leadership that I, you know, I discovered that marketing can drive revenue and I was absolutely hooked and obsessed from that moment, um, you know, particularly in the digital landscape and really being able to drive attribution and see what you're contributing to the bottom line. So, um, you know, from that moment in, I probably spent like the next five to six, five, six years really going deep into revenue marketing um, and really trying to. Um, hopefully build out a pipeline of qualified prospects um, in my business that was going to be, you know, a fundamental game changer in the business. Um, and so what I had at that time and that goal was at the business that I was at, um, they were largely sales led. Um, the majority of the revenue was coming through uh, from referrals. But, um, you know, that was kind of, it was closing out and they really needed to plug that gap. Um, so, you know, came in, established an inbound revenue marketing machine, um, but it was only a slither of the pie and I really wanted it to be, you know, the majority of the pie. I wanted marketing to be up there and a significant driver of revenue. Um, sadly, um, you know, that goal wasn't realised because what I failed to realise is that actually the business was a sales-led organisation. That was their growth model. Yeah. They weren't looking to pivot to a marketing-led growth model. It didn't really fit with who they were as a service organisation. Um, and I kind of missed that, you know. I was so focused on me and my lane that I missed the bigger picture. 
and you know the penny really dropped for me when I was uh, speaking to the group executive uh, of the business and you know passionately talking about revenue uh, marketing driving revenue and all of that and he he just said look you know we've we've doubled down on this sales-led approach I actually don't want our sales people just sitting there taking you know marketing leads or prospects and converting that you know they were hired to go out and hunt and build out their pipeline and that's what like that's what we're focused on doing and you know in that moment I was like Oh, I need to pivot again. Um, you know, if I if I want to be, you know, really on the strategic line of this business in this um, environment in, in financial services and professional service model, I need to get part of sales. I need to, you know, somehow be part of that um, circle and not just a support function of marketing. Yeah. So then the next pivot, um, I thought. It'd be a really great opportunity if I could get on that group executives leadership team um, and, you know, really be able to, you know, kind of, I guess, have my voice heard and drive some strategic decisions. Um, you know, that was going to be a serious leap. I was currently um, reporting into the GM of marketing in a centralized marketing function. So to make that leap, you're talking about changing your reporting lines, like your budgeting, everything just shifting. So it's not something that you could just do overnight. Um, and I remember having this goal and this plan um, that, you know, I'd try to achieve it within, say, 18 months. Uh, and even then, you know, maybe that was a tad ambitious. Um, unbeknownst to me, uh, the organisation was actually going through a restructure at the time. And within, like, I'm going to say, like, three months or so with me having that goal, my team got restructured out of the centralised marketing team and structured into that business. And I landed in that leadership team reporting into that group exec. So, you know, suddenly I'm here, I've achieved my goal. um, And, you know, you could feel a little bit of not necessarily imposter syndrome of like, did I actually earn to get here? Um, I just kind of landed here. And I remember being in that leadership team and I would have been the youngest by a a solid 10 years, Um, but it really didn't matter. Um, Everyone was incredibly welcoming and supportive of my ideas. Um, And I think that experience was a real eye-opener and game-changer for me because while I was certainly there to represent the marketing function, we as a leadership team were talking about everything in the business, Um, you know, and we're having these diverse conversations and everyone's input mattered. And suddenly I had this real great appreciation and respect for, you know, just what goes into making a business profitable and all how every different department outside of marketing plays a role and also how hard it is to keep a business profitable and keep employees engaged at the same time. And of course, you know, COVID hit while all of this was happening and we had to navigate that as a relatively new leadership team. So you know, I think I really then realised and, you know, I think similar in your book that I know we'll talk about a little bit later is that marketing really can influence everything about a business and being in that leadership team, I really gave me that appreciation that I, I absolutely had the potential to do that. So yeah, I was probably in that leadership team for like three or four years and I absolutely loved the experience, but I still kind of had that burning niggle that I still wasn't really part of the team that was you know 
owning all of the revenue pipeline and I still very much wanted to do that. Uh, and by that time, I'd also racked up about 10 years in financial services and I was mindful of getting pigeonholed in any one yeah. sector. Um, and I really did want to get into SaaS. I felt like that would be a really good place for me. So um, I then pivoted into SaaS. Uh, and so it was obviously a smaller organization um, based, you know, in the childcare sector. So completely different uh, to what I'd known, reporting into the CEO. Um, so as head of growth, obviously my remit was sales and marketing, uh, which I loved. I loved owning the entire pipeline, forecasting how we were going to um, you know, hit the new targets, which the forecast from prior year was a 90% uplift. So it's not like it was, you know, a, a small goal to try to achieve. And obviously coach and mentoring your sales, uh, you know, your sales people in order to go out and, and close the right deals and hit that target. Um, so that was a great, amazing experience. Um, and, and obviously the other component of it that I really liked was being a small organization, I got to work directly with the developers. I was working with customer success. And so I could really now see how I could influence um, not just the revenue pipeline and, and onboarding and seeking different clients, but I was also then adding value into, all right, what's the appropriate products that we should now be releasing to market? And what are we hearing back from clients on really what they need? So suddenly then you're you know, you're adding impact to the entire business and not just any one department. Right. So, yeah, and so now I'm, you know, thinking about the next pivot uh, and I think having had a taste for the impact that I can also drive from a product roadmap perspective, I'm also now considering, you know, the parallels on the crossovers between uh, product management and marketing because there is a lot of crossover when you start to really get into it and, you know, is it worth me exploring that a little bit deeper um, so that in my next, next SaaS organization, I really could have a deep technical understanding um, from a product um, perspective and maybe that will add additional value. So, yeah, that's the that's been the journey wow. today. <laughs> wow, that, that's a, a lot of pivoting. <laughs> it's a lot of pivoting. <laughs> so I, there's so much as you were just telling the stories, and um, there's so much that resonate with me. And you know, I, I'm I'm hearing um, really that a growth mindset. You know, sounds like you know you, you're definitely someone that who's not afraid to put yourself, uh, um, you know, outside that comfort zone and continuously, you know, with this learning and a growth mm. mindset and identifying that area that you know is really um build out your managerial capability and you know take you to the next letter up so mm -hmm. uh, which is really fascinating because uh in my career so back in the enterprise days and i have managed up to um teams of 30 people and yeah wow um, so and the the business is rapidly changing as well because i was in a traditionally like a hardware IT business, and then, you know, we're moving to uh, software, well, sorry, hardware and service initially, and then, you know, moving to software um, side of things mm. as well. So, uh, and then, you know, you, I'm sure that you know that, you know, selling hardware uh, versus selling uh, software, which, you know, uh, is a very different ball game. And, uh, mm. um, you know, even from marketing application point of view, right? 
and let alone the sales executions and you, mm. you, you know, really switching from selling product to selling a solution to meet mm. a business, um, your customers' yeah. pain points and their the business challenges, right? Mm. So um, I was, uh, uh, when I was managing teams and uh, um, I will put up these, uh, um, what I call the skill inventory. So I basically map out every single function. I don't start out with people, but I start out with a business objective and then, you know, map out like to deliver, uh, to meet all these business objective, I will need this kind of resources, therefore mm. skill sets. So I build out this humongous spreadsheet, basically, you know, from your traditional marketing through to digital marketing, um, you know, the marketing operations and, um, and then looking at a, how do I can, how can I actually, you know, um, uh, almost like extend my resources, you know, tapping to um, agency as well. So um, mm. I, I ended up basically building out this entire operational team with a third party freelancer as well as internal um, employees and mm. but it's all centralized with this like a skill inventory and yeah. I'm looking at our next 12 months to deliver all the work we need to deliver to meet objective these are the skills and people we need but mm. say 24 months time 36 months time I'm constantly looking at where do we need to pivot as well mm. Then, then you know you're starting to uh, in your one-on-one -on -one engagement with the um with your team members understand their personal goal, and and this is now starting to touch on the GX model that in my book mm. I'm not not really promoting my book here, but you know <laughs> it just it is something that uh, I found is so um um I guess you know aha moment. Mm. We wrote that into a book, basically. <laughs> so, um, so that basically we then discuss with individual members in the team, understand their goals and aspiration. So, you know, we start to develop them, and then at the same time sharing them, you know, with these are the business, you know, future goal, meeting directions, and in five years time, obviously, you know, depending on what type of company it is, Japanese company are so. Uh, famous, you know, in terms of their mid-term to longer-term planning. Mm -hmm. I think um, Australians and uh, U.S.-based company, you know, we kind of tend to leave, you know, more the, the next 12 months and operate mm -hmm. more on the month to month, you know, quarter to mm -hmm. quarter fashion. So, yeah. Um, yeah, so I found it was really interesting when you said that. It's almost like a, you you have this uh, uh, skill infantry. <laughs> Where are my people thinking? Yeah. <laughs> in the coming 24 months that yeah. is that is awesome it brings out so so many memories for me <laughs> if only we knew each other earlier eve you could have just know, plucked right? me yeah. out and i could have ticked off so many of those roles in your, in your matrix <laughs> it does take about 25 years for me to get here so i can write a book about yeah. <laughs> <laughs> benefit <So>. of hindsight <laughs> So, you know, earlier you were also, uh, we, we were also saying that marketers are obviously being held more accountable as a contributor mm. to revenue generations, right? So um, what do you think are the key knowledge that marketers, you know, must acquire? Um, and having you now moving to the sales end, and uh, obviously you have a really strong knowledge of marketing. So, you know, you can work with this marketing folks really well. So, you know, lots of, you know, uh, uh, for you to, you know, tell the our audience, 
mostly are revenue marketers and how they can, uh, what's on the knowledge and the soft skill they need to gain to be able to manage this, you know, their sales colleagues and um, the upward, you know, expectation, all of that, you know, better in order to, um, to, to achieve their goals, you know, more, more effectively. Yeah, for sure. Um, certainly when I've spoken to other revenue marketers about this, um, and I think it really does depend on your experience to date and, and how much of the organization looks to marketing for revenue. So certainly in my experience, when I've spoken to people, they might be KPI'd on revenue. And so there's obviously that linkage there. They know they're accountable for it. But if it's a marketing attributed revenue KPI, then they could have a little bit of that tunnel vision in the same way that I did in my experience and not actually appreciate um, the full pie. So what my recommendation is, is actually get an understanding of how your business is driving all of its revenue, not just how you're contributing to some of the revenue. And when you're looking at how the business is driving all of its revenue, you need to understand that down across all of the client segmentations and then all of the inbound channels. So have a really deep understanding of how are we making most of our money and what are the activities that are driving most of our money? Uh, and once you have an understanding of that, you don't want to stop there. You want to also be really on top of the performance. As you mentioned, yes, uh, particularly in um, uh, the US and Australia, we are very 12-month focused and very performance focused. So you'd be wanting to look at performance month on month, quarter to quarter to see right. how those different client segmentations and channels are performing. Because if you're not really across that and you're so tunnel vision in just your component of revenue, then you know how can you really know what impact you are having? And are you really having enough of an impact to make a difference? And actually has the market shifted and you need to pivot your strategy in order to support the business in achieving its full revenue goals. So I think... It's great, certainly, if marketers are um, tied to revenue, but unless you fully understand how the business is making all of its money, um, then, you know, you're probably going to get a little bit of that disconnect with sales uh, that you mentioned. Um, and certainly that is what I had experienced where, you know, they're kind of wanting you to focus on something else um, and you're really passionate about marketing attribution revenue as opposed to really where can we add most of the impact to achieve our targets. Um, yeah. So I'd say um, uh, certainly some things that I've uh, benefited from in my career is uh, what I was really surprised about is often salespeople, um, they really don't like the CRM. Um, you know, a lot of the time they're relationship people and yes. this feels like data input and it's boring and I don't want to do it and it's not my thing and I just want to focus on my pipeline and my prospects and I'm, I know my targets and I know how I'm performing. Um, and so I really lent into that um, and I got to know the CRM really well. So I think if you're a revenue marketer today and you've already got a bit of talent in data or maybe if you don't get into the CRM, start running reports, start building dashboards, do it beyond just marketing activity. Again, look at the full revenue pipeline across the business, see how it's performing, how are different opportunities or deals um, moving through the pipeline in the sales cycle. Um, and once you get really good at that, 
um, you're probably going to spot some opportunities uh, or some headwinds coming in that you can then present up to your sales counterparts, your leadership, and they're going to really value that insight. Um, because what I have noticed is it's one thing to be able to look at a financial report or a sales report and you know, fundamentally understand the data that's presented to you, but it's another thing to be able to go into that data, really interrogate it and go, all right, I'm seeing some anomalies here or I'm seeing an opportunity here in this particular segment and I think actually we could extend our growth if maybe we invested more in this particular thing. So um, that would be my recommendation in terms of how you can get more aligned with sales um, and really get them seeing you as someone that is looking beyond just marketing, but really appreciating the whole revenue pie. Um, the other thing that I would call out, um, which I found really interesting moving into SaaS from a service perspective is no one was talking about outflows. Um, no one was talking about client retention. No one was talking about um, share of wallet and upsell. Um, it was all about growth at all costs, new client acquisition, inflows, inflows, go, go, go. And it's, it felt like revenue just sort of stopped there. Um, and coming from a, a service background, that had just not been my experience at all. Like you just really needed to understand revenue from a full client lifestyle perspective, um, because obviously that's going to impact P&L, right, too. So, um, yeah. and what's interesting now, right, you, you called it out before, we're seeing it change, you know, suddenly there's a recession, there's been lots of layoffs in tech, um, and I've now seen the conversation change, um, you know, people like, oh, don't forget about, don't forget about retention. You know, your clients are your most important asset and, um, you know, sustainable growth model and that's all back in vogue. Um, so I think if you just don't lose sight of that in the first place, then you possibly might not have had a biggest revenue gap as you might have now. So, um, you know, if you're a revenue marketer, particularly if you're a demand gen marketer, which is purely probably traditionally been focused on just upfront acquisition, I would say, look at outflows, um, look at the full pie, um, get an understanding of um, what type of clients typically churn, when and why do they churn, um, is there any correlation between a type of lead source that came in and their likelihood to churn. Um, and once yep. you've got all of that different data, um, not only is that going to help you because you can kind of see then, all right, so I need to pivot some of my upfront acquisition strategies so that I'm getting the right people in the door that are going to be have you know better lifetime value, more likely to stay with us, more likely to spend more because that's the type of client or customer that you want. So that's going to be great for you, but absolutely you're going to find some nuggets of gold in there that sales could lean on, product could lean on, customer support. So suddenly you're going to be seen as this you know data miner or insights kind of person that can help the entire business uh, achieve its revenue targets and hopefully stem outflows. So um, yeah, that would be my recommendations. Um, I think the more value that you can add to the different departments and what they're trying to do, so get your head out of just marketing goals, what's the sales goals, what's the customer success goals, then I think you'll, you know, you'll be elevated up um, from that regard. Yeah, no, I can't agree more. And uh, it reminded me a client of mine that uh, also funny enough in the um, financial service sector, um, so the the most, I guess, you know, value the key assets within that organization is the chief strategy officer. And she basically, her job 
you know, is analyzing spreadsheets. And uh, they have a 10 years worth of a customer data and the firm yeah. has, it is a medium sized company and they have been operating really well, growing really fast. And then, but the, they never really analyzing and then really optimize the data, turn that mm. into intelligence. And yeah. so this CSO, you know, her job was doing that. And uh, when I, we came in as the kind of partner in marketing, um, so I took a different approach and a really a persona focused approach to analyze the data. And um, this is where I found that, you know, it's critical that the marketer needs to have the ability to manage your stakeholder. So, you know, really build trust and build that relationship with your financial folks and IT, to be honest as well. And obviously most, most important is the CEO level. And the date because they have the ability to open out those doors, right? Sometimes mm -hmm. systems don't talk, and um, you know, for some companies, you know, because uh, some of the licensing for CRM can be really costly. So you know, it ended up like market marketers don't have access to the CRM system. You're relying mm -hmm. on you know someone in the an administrative staff and pull those report, you know. Mm -hmm. So it's really cumbersome kind of process, yeah. right? So, but if you can really manage it at that level and open up doors, right, for you to be able to look into the data, because really marketers were closest to customer insights, right? Mm. So what I then did, you know, was doing a different cut of the financial data, looking at which segment actually generate most profit for mm. the organization and which one actually produce the most cash cow. So all of a sudden, you know, it's a different perspective of looking mm. at data. And uh, um, the CSO was looking at a more from financial implication. Yeah. But then I put another layers and then crafting who they are, what they look mm. like, you actually build out a profile to find look alike mm. and then repeat, you know, um, the process, right? Yeah. Finding the most profitable clients. Because we know that this particular segment, yes, they're very small in terms of market share are highly profitable. Mm. So we need to focus on those folks equally as, as well as those giving us the, the market share, share mm. base. So that, that yeah. definitely, Apica, is, it's absolutely critical, you know, for mm. marketers to yeah. be able to absolutely. market. Yeah. Really. Massive Not opportunity if, you, yeah, if your business isn't looking at that, if you don't have a clear idea of, as you said, you know, what, what are your most profitable um, clients or customers and great opportunity for a marketer to come in and, and do that um, and map that out. Yeah, 100%. And, I, and I've been very blessed in my career. As a, um, most of the organization, I mean, it's kind of top down. They have mm. this customer line of sight and, you know, customer centricity, that kind of approach. So that really helps. So I guess mm. uh, marketers need to have this, you know, lace, la radar to understand that uh, the company before you take on that. Totally. <laughs> they have that kind of culture. If not, it could be an uphill battle, right? Yeah. I mean, everyone says, right, that they're client focused or customer focused. So how do you actually unpack that? Maybe maybe that's another podcast for you. How do you how do you map that out now before you take the job on? <laughs> yeah, 100%, 100%. And, and you know that, Jackie, I talk a lot about revenue generation value chain, which is the framework mm -hmm. that guides leader which type of uh, uh, revenue generation responsibility on the activities uh, and therefore, obviously, a skill set we need, right, to build the right um, events and activity that will optimize the um, business ability to achieve the, the goal, the revenue performance we need, right? 
So um, I, I think you recently re read my book, right? Ascending Growth. Um, do you think marketers lack of the knowledge and the capability in any of the practice areas I spoke about? Yes, I have read your book. Um, I'm happy to plug it, <laughs> even if you won't. I thought it was, you know, I thought it was really aspirational read. So, you know, obviously we've already seen um, my hunger and growth mindset. So I definitely found it to be, um, you know, really refreshing um, to see marketing elevated to kind of that, you know, CEO level uh, in a way. Um, and so I would absolutely recommend it for anyone that's got that goal. Um, and I think that the revenue value chain model, or RVC, is a fundamental tool um, that I'll 100%, you know, be using from going forward. So great job there. I mean, really, you know, considering coming down um, in that way. So um, I think in answer to your question, yes, absolutely. Um, there's going to be gaps. Um, I don't know that I would say that it's, you know, any one of the 10 components in your revenue value chain that, you know, maybe more marketers are lacking in than others. I think it's really going to come down to the individual, um, their team and the organisation that they're sitting in. So um, I guess to give a little bit more context um, to the listeners, uh, within your revenue value chain, um, in each of the 10 components in the book, you're giving examples of what an ascending company looks like versus a descending company. So, you know, I think any um, marketer could go in there and they could sort of self-assess across those 10 with those examples. And I would be surprised um, if they could confidently say, yeah, we're shooting the lights out across all 10, particularly right. as companies are pivoting. You know, you might, you may have been at all 10 at one point, but now there's change happening. Um, you need to respond to market shifts. So you might, you know, need to invest more in any one component. So, um, you know, as an example, look, maybe your team is really strong in MarTech, you've invested in the software, um, you've got all those capabilities, you've invested in the right people to, um, you know, use that technology, but kind of what we were talking about before, maybe you've gone so heavy weighted on the technical side that you've actually forgot about your, you know, the personal side and maybe your stakeholders really don't get what it is that marketing's doing and they're not really understanding why you've invested all this money in this technology and how that's going to drive, um, you know, revenue or results for the business. So, and I've seen this play out many a times where, um, you know, marketing forgets to take the stakeholders on the journey and really get them involved from the inception of something like MarTech so that by the time that it's launched, they're fully on board. So um, right. yeah, I think depending on where you are, um, you know, you're going to see that. So I think yeah. though for me personally, uh, when I read the book, um, the real kind of light bulb moment was, and maybe this is because I've been a graphic designer, but I actually just really like the visual depiction of it as a, like this interlocking value chain, um, you know, it's, it's this model that's connected to ultimately be this engine to drive growth. Um, right. And for me, why that really stuck out was because if you just think about a chain, it's only going to be as strong as its weakest link. So um, from that perspective, if you're not investing in, in, in all of the 10 components of the chain, well, are you really going to ultimately hit your growth potential because there's going to be some weakness in it? So um, where I see that being really quite practical for businesses is when you're in that reforecasting stage. Um, and so there's going to be tons of businesses right now, depending on, you know, if you run financial year or full year, you're going to be looking at your performance 
what are your gaps to your full year plan? Um, and inevitably what always happens in this situation is because of market, you, you know, you may be really behind. So you're like, all right, what have I got to cut to invest in things that are working? Or what have I got to cut to just plug the revenue gap? Um, and I've been in these conversations at a leadership level and inevitably what happens is it's a spreadsheet, line items on a spreadsheet, and you're kind of just discussing and, you know, deliberating, all right, what stays and what goes. Um, and there might be, you know, uh, some acknowledgement of if we cut project X, it will impact project Y. But it kind of is just at that high level acknowledgement. And I think that it would be far more practical for businesses if they mapped all of those initiatives out on the revenue value chain, rather than just being line items on a spreadsheet. And suddenly you've got this really strong visual of, right, if we're going to cross this out, like how much damage are we doing to the strength of the chain? And if yeah. we're just moving money from, you know, points two and three and we're stacking it all on seven, are we just overweighting seven, but the rest of the chain is still broken. So it's not going to work anyway. So um, that for me was the real kind of light bulb moment that I could see businesses right now um, really having a lot of benefit in the revenue value chain beyond using it as a strategic framework. Yeah, no, I, I think you're spot on. And uh, when I was writing the book, because obviously my background is a marketer, and um, but really the value chain is beyond marketers. You mm. can be used to, you know, just for that department, you know, like I always say, uh, even with my clients and from my agency work, I always do pilot projects. And yeah. so even that with the book, we recommend the companies, you know, really is encouraging the uh, senior marketers, CMOs to step up and, uh, um, you know, take on this transformation project, mm. right? So start out with your own department and then using it as a uh, example, as a use case uh, to demonstrate the, uh, to to rest of the, the business that, you know, um, and obviously, you know, revenue generation is not just marketer's mm. responsibility, you know, really, I, I think in the book, I clearly articulate, it is a cross-functional yeah. and, you know, almost like, you know, every single department and especially those customer-facing functions, mm. um, they all need to get involved, you know, in the strategy buildings and, um, you know, the financial folks in the early stage. Um, allocate resources, right? They need to be very clear about uh, from re revenue generation, what's our goals and mm. how do we achieve that? You know, what some of the things are really are more investment-based and the others are more, you know, we can tangibly see a link up with, you know, direct mm. revenue outcome, right? So, um, yeah, it, it is definitely not the easy task because, uh, um, you know, when we are in the trenches, right, you know, um, yeah. one of the organizations I worked for, we have to pump out 100 campaigns every month. And yeah, when wow. do you have time to, to you know, mm. sit back and, you know, yeah. think about this bigger picture thing with your division yeah. thing and all these elements and how do you optimize your mm. your operation, right? And um, to, to get in and, and let alone cross-functional. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so it is a lot, but you know, I, I guess the the RVC, you know, is a very structured way for mm. leaders, you know, to look at the organizations and say, hey, um, the GX is really a quick mental check. You know, yeah. everything that we do, you know, should really focus on laser focus on these three areas the business goal, the customer goals, and as well as the people goals, right? And whereas the RVC is really the roadmap. 
Mm. And uh, I, I personally encourage, you know, um, not just doing the, your functional marketing plan, but map out all the these, these different areas mm. and then map out the stakeholders, really important, you know, uh, your, your business partner, basically within your business. And therefore, you know, come back to your example, you know, um, a lot of the, um, I, I guess the way you felt is, you know, it wasn't launched properly internally. So you don't have that full buy-in. So, mm. you know, therefore there's, there's people asking, you know, what is marketing doing? <laughs> no <Yeah>. idea. <laughs> so, so yeah, no, that's a, that's a great, great suggestion for sure. Um, what the type of uh, skills and knowledge they need to, we all need to really um, step up, you know, to, to acquire, mm. to be able to, to understand the business fully and working mm. with the, the other functions uh, more effectively as a result as mm. well. Yeah. So, so what do you think that is the greatest challenge for marketing, you know, in order to broaden their skills and de develop this kind of mindset as well, as well as knowledge to be able to level up? Yeah. Um, look, I think you first of all have to have the hunger to want to do it. So, um, you know, I think that you do like have to have that initial mindset of I really want to take my career to the next level. Not everyone has the desire to do it. So I don't necessarily know that if you're just thinking, all right, I want to move up to senior and then CMO. I don't think that in and of itself is enough you've really got to be quite articulate in where it is that you want to go uh, in your career um, and so I think and for me like I've always just had I've been hugely ambitious right and I've always been thinking all right what's my next pivot to get there so that mindset has always been there it's not something I've had to learn it's been naturally in me so right. I think it would be a challenge um, in and of itself just to even try to do something which you just naturally don't feel like you want to do so that I would say though that yeah um, I would say though that like if you feel that you do have that desire to do it um, but maybe there's a little bit of self-doubt um, creeping in and a little bit of imposter syndrome because um, you know maybe you're here and you're trying to pivot to there and that feels like a massive leap and how are you going to do that um, you know I think as an example, you know, I've, I've spoken about my career, I didn't even start in marketing. Um, and then suddenly I've gone from graphic design, it's ahead of growth. So those are fundamentally different skill sets. Um, so I think you just have to trust and believe in your capability to do it. Like, obviously, you're going to have to invest in yourself um, and time to do it. Um, but it, it's possible. So I think just kind of get out of that impossible mindset. And, um, and you've just got to put practical steps uh, in place to do it. So um, right. In terms of greatest challenges, uh, what I personally experienced is because if you're trying to make really big plays in terms of like shifting your career quite substantially from if it's the sector that you're changing or if it's the role that you're changing, if you're trying to do that externally, um, you can get a lot of pushback. So as an example, when I was trying to move from financial services uh, into SaaS, that wasn't easy. You know, that took years um, to do because um, often hiring managers and recruiters, if you haven't done something very specific to what they do, they kind of question your ability to adapt. Um, and similarly, I'd even had within the realms of marketing and people kind of spoke about it before, I've been questioned on, well, can you really pivot from B to C to B to B? So okay. I do think that unfortunately, um, um, organizations uh, 
when you're trying to get a job externally, unless you kind of fit in their mould, they see you as more of a risk as opposed to the opportunity of what you could bring in, your different thinking and how that could add value. Um, so that's certainly been a challenge. I haven't seen it so much internally because I think internally, you know, you've built up your credibility, people um, respect and value you. So if you kind of have an idea of pivoting into a slightly different area, you're more likely to get that buy-in. Um, but, you know, I have also kind of experienced a little bit of pushback because, you know, sometimes you've been hired to do a really specific role. Um, and if you're suddenly wanting to pivot out, um, your manager might not really want you to do that. You know, they don't necessarily want you to maybe move to a different department or whatever it is. So there might be a little bit of hesitation for you to go off um, in a slightly different direction. So I think in both of those challenges, obviously don't give up um, if you get turned away the first time, um, but you've really got to figure out what your sales pitch is to them. Um, I think so much of marketing is sales pitching anyway. You're obviously, you're always pitching your point of view um, to get people's buy-in. Um, so you've really got to think about what is in it for them to give you that crack. Um, it's not just about you, it's about them. So, yep. you know, obviously in those examples that I gave um, from an external organisation perspective, we're seeing more and more, and I think you even mentioned it a few times in your book that SaaS organizations really need to be looking now at professional service um, models and how they do that and how they do that really well in servicing a client or a customer because it's not just about the product experience, it's about the ultimate um, you know, client experience as well. So from that perspective, a SaaS organization might really benefit from someone like me that's had all of that service marketing experience. Yeah, I right. can learn, you know, the other product SaaS stuff on the job, but I can bring in something that maybe the rest of the team doesn't have. Um, and similarly, you know, the, the B2B versus B2C debate, I mean, for years, B2B has been looking to B2C for, you know, ideas and inspiration and innovation. So again, you know, your pitch could be, yeah, sure, maybe I haven't had as much experience in B2B as your other candidates, but here's all the learnings from B2C that I can bring to you that maybe your team doesn't have. So it's really just, you know, trying to make your risk an actually really attractive um, reason for them to hire you. Uh, and then internally, you know, I, I think, you know, whenever I pivot into something else, it's always added um, so much value into the business. So I think you've really yep. got to think about, all right, if you're going to invest in me to go and do this one day course or that I can, you know, sit in this other team's project, here's how I'm going to bring that back into the business to make um, it impact to you. So uh, as an example, uh, what I did was I did this one day course on customer journey mapping. Um, you know, there wasn't anyone in the business that was really doing that. So it was only a one day course. I was able to come back into the business. I was able to apply that to a live project that we were doing right then and there. And then I was able to train other people up in the marketing team on how to do that. And then every other time other departments had a problem and we really needed to first take it back and map out the customer journey. We had a team that could do that. So you know, that one investment in that one day course was suddenly proving really invaluable. And it was, um, you know, seen as a marketing skill set that we could bring. So 
yeah, that, that's been my challenges, but I think it's just all in figuring out, all right, I've been knocked back this time. How do I, how do I, you know, define and my pitch and just get better at pitching until they're like, oh, that, that's a no brainer. Why wouldn't we uh, invest in you? Yeah, I know that that is uh, so, so awesome. Yeah. Thanks so much for those advice. And um, so one, one last question, we've been chatting a lot and you've been giving tons of uh, um, your personal experience and insights and how you actually broaden your remit and, uh, uh, you know, moving really from marketers to owning P&L. And uh, um, so I'm hearing like stakeholder management is important and really, you know, understand the broader business, just not your functional um, mm -hmm. So that will help you, you know, to to kind of, you know, step ahead, you know, one step ahead, right? And to to, to understand that really what sort of capability you need, right? And uh, uh, yeah, you know, researching on the company, you know, they need to have the right culture in order for you yeah. to be successful, right? And um, so if you could predict, and Jackie, this is this is a hard question. If you could predict. <laughs> Um, and, and our listeners, you know, the, the fact they're tuning in, they're very much, you know, into learning and growing. Mm. And I think, you know, 100% of what you said that, you know, that mentality needs to be an audience. I think without a doubt, they are, the, you know, they're hungry for that. Yeah. And you know, one thing I would say, you know, join RMA, this kind of guru, obviously tons of uh, marketers collaborating, mm. um, you know, sharing knowledge, right? That that could be really um, uh I guess invaluable ways, you know, to to get the insight. What is the next big thing? So I I like to throw that uh, um, question to you. Is you know like mm. if you predict what what do you think will be the most important critical skills uh, um, or capability that revenue marketer need to gain uh, for the coming coming years? Yeah. Um, so I'll give you two. Um, one might be seen as, um, a, you know, people have already kind of seen that playing out in the market, depending on where you're based geographically. Uh, and the second one, just a little bit left field, just to get you thinking a little bit outside of the box. So uh, first one, um, what I've seen work quite well, um, particularly from a demand generation perspective uh, for some businesses is, pivoting how the market perceives their company. So they're not just seen as say a consulting firm or a software business, but they're actually also seen as a media business. Um, and why that's important is it's kind of taking content marketing to the next level, right? Um, we know the importance of content marketing. It's certainly not a new skill set for revenue marketers, but actually evolving your company so it's a media company is really elevating it up. Um, and why they're doing this is to build a lot of trust uh, in the brand beyond, you know, just traditional content marketing. So um, a really good example that I've seen of this recently is Cognizant. Uh, and actually their CMO, uh, uh, Alistair Corsi, has just launched her first book, um, The Diary of a First-Time CMO. Uh, and in that book, she goes into detail how uh, originally Cognizant was focused on, you know, what is now known as the outdated lead gen model. Uh, and over four years, she transitioned that into a demand generation powerhouse, absolutely powered by this media machine. Um, and this has real bottom line impact. So uh, when she first came in, they were generating 3 million uh, ARR. Um, and then 
moving into a media machine, they're now up to 50 million ARR. So that's a substantial uplift when you're using content marketing in this really media machine way. Uh, and what I mean by media machine is that, you know, I think we all understand the principles of content marketing, but how they're doing this really well is just thinking, all right, how might a media company approach their content strategy? You know, they're thinking about the different channels. They're, they're obviously doing things like podcast newsletters, um, you know, YouTube, whatever it is, but they're doing it in a, the, the focus is on content and how they're going to get that out and have the most value. And it's always about the value loops and continue to add in. So they've been a phenomenal to watch. Um, and I think if you're not across them yet, absolutely get across them. There's other examples uh, in Europe, uh, in the States as well. Um, and then what's really interesting about that that I've seen is that now some startups are actually launching into market as a media company first. So they don't have a SaaS product, they don't have a service product, they're just launching into market as a pure media company, nothing is paid, nothing is gated, they're just giving away this content and value for free. So they're spotting a gap in the market where no one is providing insights or answering questions to this particular market problem and yeah. they're building up a community around it. And so one of their first hires is going to be like a community marketing, marketing manager um, so you wouldn't really think that's necessarily revenue, but actually it's all about building the community behind you. And the right. beauty of this model is that once they've built up enough of a community um, behind them, they then launch a product in market. And suddenly, because they've done all of the grunt work in building up this trust, they've got a pipeline of qualified prospects. And they're yep. far faster at converting that into clients as opposed to if they had to just launch a product in market with no kind of brand awareness and, you know, probably do a typical sales outbound um, approach or, you know, demand gen outbound approach. So it's a completely different shift in how you might grow your business. Uh, and an example of this that I've seen um, recently is an organization called Peer Signal. Um, and so Peer Signal is this amazing free SaaS uh, database where businesses can go in, they can benchmark themselves to see how they're performing against the other SaaS businesses. And you can even toggle between product-led growth as well, if that's your organization model. And you can even see, all right, are they hiring? Are they increasing their headcount? Are they decreasing? What roles are increasing versus decreasing? So there's really valuable insight that you could use either as a business or even if, say, you're looking in market for a new role, you can see what, what top performing SaaS businesses are hiring right now in your department. Um, and so this is all free um, and they've built this up over about 12 months um, and they've got some major players that are using this free tool. So I'm talking Slack, Adobe, um, uh, who else, like Figma, all of those types of big organisations um, that uh, are using, I think it's Salesforce as well, are using it. So they did that over 12 months. And right. then they launched a SaaS product into market called Keyplay. And so Keyplay is basically a tool um, to help you build out your account list. Um, account list tools are not new. There, there's plenty of them in the market, right? So they're coming into arguably a saturated market with a product, but 
because they built their media company first, they've actually built this really unique selling proposition to the potential buyers um, because all of the free insights that they've got from Peer Signal have fed into Keyplay. And you kind of got this continuous viral loop between their free media company and their paid SaaS product. Um, and so as a result, I actually saw a thing, um, a story about them on LinkedIn last night. They're now up to 100 million ARR. And that is purely all from their community that they build, all of those people putting their hand up saying, yep, we want your product. So nice. um, yeah, for me, that's, that's something to watch um, and definitely something that, you know, typically if you're a revenue marketer, you might not really want to play in the content space so much um, or the community space, but I think it, it could be a real game changer um, depending on what you're doing um, and actually being a significant growth play. So that's one. Um, the second one, which is a little bit left field, but I came across it recently, so I'm kind of excited about it. Um, is behavioral economics uh, and then behavioral design. I get it, like that really doesn't sound like it's got anything to do with marketing, uh, but just go with me. Um, so behavioral economics, uh, it's basically the combination of psychology and economics. Uh, and really what it is saying is that even if we want to believe that we are rational, we make rational decisions, we don't. Uh, we make our decisions based on emotions. And, you know, we, we know this to a degree in market research. A lot of our decisions have bias in them uh, and we tend to follow a lot of social norms. So with all of that, there's some really clear patterns that we tend to follow when we're making decisions, right? Um, this is obviously really valuable stuff when you're thinking about you go to market strategy, if you're you know, you're thinking about onboarding loops or sign-up loops, whatever it is that you're doing um, from a revenue-driving perspective. Um, and so if you understand that fundamentally, I really do think it's it's taking your market research to a more granular and scientific level, and it could actually end up, you know, changing the way you might otherwise do things um, so it's a better outcome. So to make this a little bit more understandable, I'll give you an example. Uh, I was listening to a podcast and it had the CEO of uh, Rational Labs on it. Uh, and basically they specialize in this behavioral economics and design. So it's not a new concept, but I don't know that it's necessarily something that marketing has been doing. Um, right. And so the example that yeah. they gave was... Yeah, the example they gave, like apparently like Google is all across it now, uh, but maybe it hasn't really filtered through to everyone else. Um, yeah. So they were working with this fintech uh, and this fintech, um, you know, they've done the right thing. They've been doing a lot of market research. They've been listening to their customers. Um, and what they were hearing over and over again was, we need a budgeting tool. We need a budgeting tool. That's what we need. And so you'd think, all right, we've 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 done a little bit of qual. We've heard um, what the customers are saying. So this is a no-brainer. We're going to prioritize this on our product roadmap. We're going to invest a lot of time and money in this because it's going to pay off. Um, and But actually, you know, Oh, I think here's the real opportunity with behavioral economics is that most marketers and most businesses would stop there, right? It's like, tick, we've done our market research, we've got the green light, now we're going to move in. But actually, um, and if you speak to some market researchers, they'll tell you just because people say something in a survey, they say they want something, they say they'll do something, they think they have the solution to their problem, their behaviors can suggest otherwise. So you don't just want to stop there. You actually have to interrogate that 
further before you potentially go down a path that is not going to be profitable for your business. In this example, what they did was they got the budgeting tool to a prototype um, level and they tested it in market and it was a complete fail. Absolutely no one used it despite all those indicators, right, that they would. No one used it. It didn't help anyone save money. It was a complete flop. So, um, you know, that's obviously got the the founders kind of scratching their heads. It's like, but, you know, we, we delivered what customers said they wanted. Um, and I think what um, behavioural economics shows is, well, actually when you're, you're thinking about these things, whether or not it's a, a new product going to market or you're thinking about a sign-up flow, whatever it is, you actually need to map out in the same way, say, the customer journey map, you actually need to map out the behaviours that someone would need to do in order to do that action. And if those behaviours are really hard, then they're probably not going to do it. Um, and I think most budgeting tools probably fail, right, because it, it's an idea. It's like, oh, I'm going to set this goal. I'm going to save 10 grand in a year, whatever it is. But there's no clear behaviours that you need to be doing day by day in order to achieve that. So, you know, it, it once you realise that, it's like, well, actually, you know, is a budgeting tool even the right thing at all? Um, right. And what they found with this case study is, no, it's not. Like a budgeting tool is pretty much always probably going to fail. And actually the best way to get people to save, which is the goal, is just default them in. So, and by default them in, I mean okay, maybe they're opening up an account. Um, I'm not sure exactly what this product was, but perhaps in the onboarding process, someone needs to say to them, oh, actually, would you like us to help you, you know, um, save? If we set this up now, it'll just do it every month or every whatever, and you don't have to think about it. And so that's default. Like one setup, done, no more action needs to be taken um, by the person. So I really liked this example because I could see this playing out where you listen to a little bit of customer feedback, you go down a path thinking this is going to be revenue driving, but actually if you had have done a little bit more grunt work to map out the behaviours, the thing that's going to work is fundamentally different. So this wasn't a product problem. This is potentially like an onboarding or a customer success problem or a, a marketing comms problem where it's really just about getting someone to do one behaviour up front and then they never have to do anything again so a little bit left field um you know i i think though that this could be a game changer like market research often as you called out before typically marketers kind of you know we are the the holy grail if you like of understanding customers so i do think that this could take it to that next level and it could be the difference between think about SaaS products, often people are looking at it and it's like, you know, what's the difference between these product features and it's apples and apples and often now companies are trying to pivot through the brand experience. Mm -hmm. This could be a way that you could actually pivot because you're not just going to produce what everyone else is producing. You're thinking far differently um, based on behaviours. So that's the predictions. <laughs> oh, that, that is wonderful thank you so so much jackie that's a, a world of information that you have generously uh given to our listeners <laughs> and i'm sure that, that they will pick up quite a lot and uh, um and help them to transform themselves and in order to elevate their career so um yeah with that note and uh, i want to thank you again for coming on the show and being with us uh, today and uh, um yeah so thank you so much <laughs> Yeah, it's been awesome. 
glad to be a part of it. Great, and I want to thank my um thank our listeners of course uh, of course for tuning in. I'm your host Eve Chen, and this is another episode of Let's Talk Revenue Marketing. I look forward to having you tuning in soon again. Thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in. Don't forget to check out our other episodes for even more insights into the world of revenue marketing.